not detected or measured. Not detected or measure, measured. So, why would I call the talk that? Not detected or measured. You can't detect it and you can't measure it. How good is it? So, what am I trying to point out here or bring your awareness to? Let's start at what's detected and what's measured. Just about everything is detectable. We can see the wall, we can see the speakers, we can see, we look closely, we look down into this wood, we'll see molecules and atoms, and we can um, detect all kinds of things. We can measure between this and that, we can measure distances in space, all kinds of very solid, dependable, measurable, things. We are, we're measuring our age, we're measuring our height, we're measuring our weight, we're measuring our IQ, measure, measure, measure. And it's always some kind of idea of gaining, of getting something more, getting more money, getting more acknowledgement, more rewards, and even in our meditation tradition, more awareness. Interesting thing is that what this path is about, this spiritual path, and any, you could say, I could go so far as to say without running too much risk of being embarrassed. But the goal of the spiritual path is to see what is fundamentally true under the radar of ego, under the radar of comparing and judging and evaluating and accepting, rejecting, and so on. So if you can't, if you're going to see under the radar, isn't that detectable? Nope. That's with a capital P. Nope. You could also say that it's both measurable and not measurable because it transcends the polarity that it is being held up against or with the measurement that we all accept as proof. Science, science is so they're just such a, a group of highly intelligent beings that they, they settle for evidence. I would say to you, if you consider yourself on a spiritual path, don't believe anything. Don't disbelieve anything when I say I don't care how much evidence there is. It's always partial. I'll say that again. All evidence is partial. You have some of the story, but you're not going to have the whole story. Just the nature of relative truth is that way. You never can see the whole thing. You can see just enough to know that you're kind of right in this one situation. You're kind of correct. KC, kind of correct. Especially shows up in blaming. You know, when you're Someone does one thing, and we they obviously did something, committed a crime, we blame them. But we immediately jump on the most simplistic way of looking at cause and effect, and we put people in jail. We give someone who was born with 144 IQ credit for being smart. They somehow get to be that smart guy, or they're born extremely handsome, beautiful, uh, magnetic with a bubbling, wonderful, flowing personality where they can take on other roles and we pay them you know, millions of dollars to act. A very interesting area where people get credit for something that they aren't even responsible for. Maybe a little bit. Maybe they are born with a high IQ and they go ahead and go to Harvard and get an education and become a great scholar. Uh, but the person who doesn't go to school, stays home, maybe gets promoted to manager at McDonald's, maybe has an average IQ. Both of those people have to eat. Both of those people have to use the restroom. 
both of them have to deal with illness, sickness, and both of them will die. One probably before the other one, and no way to know which one. Cause and effect, cause and effect. We get hooked into that thinking that because this leads to that, leads to that, leads to that, we think that, well, that's kind of the trajectory. That's how it needs to, that's what we need to do. That's how we need to lead our life, guide ourselves and make our choices based on, should I do this or should I do this? Will this be better? It's all guesswork. There's no way you can know what's going to happen three weeks from now at all. You might guess. So uh, proof is overrated, but people use that in order to get what? Control, power, happens all the time, everywhere. Even happens in the spiritual traditions where one spiritual tradition will say that they're right and the other ones are wrong or incorrect or misguided. Anytime you hear any of that, uh, a lot of the little red flags should go up, meaning, what is that word? Bullshit. Yeah, that's the word. Bullshit. There's no way you can know anything for sure. Even even relative knowledge is not totally accurate. It's always changing. They used to think the earth was flat. They used to think that the moon was uh, a big ball of dirt in the middle of nowhere, circulating around a much larger ball of dirt that we all live on, when actually the moon was constructed by aliens. I see smiling. I don't see anyone disagreeing with me. Why aren't you disagreeing? Proof. You don't have any proof. <laughs> can't prove that. <clears throat> what is that called? What kind of fact is that called? Foolish fact? So what am I getting at? Uh, I would like to uh, respond to your questions. I think that might be the most valuable way to work with this. But what I'm getting at is what you're looking for. The ultimate, shall we say, happiness, ultimate truth, ultimate resolution of what this human life is about. It's kind of an existential question. I'm familiar with that term. Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher back in the early part of the last century, said, um, summing up existential his existential approach to living, being alive, was existence precedes essence. He basically said, you're, first you're here, and then you think of shit about it. That's my way of saying it. Smart guy. Did anybody read uh, read Being and Nothingness? It's a really thick book. <laughs> I didn't read it. I just read the title. As I've said, many of you have heard me say, all you have to do is read the title of the book. You know what's in it. <laughs> Sent you. Can you repeat that, please? What? That quote. Existence precedes essence. Existence, or in our in our language, in the Buddhist uh, Yogacara language, would be uh, Paratantra uh, precedes uh, Parakalpata. Dependent, de dependent origination precedes. So existence, just being here and just kind of here we are, just this, without any ideas or philosophy or anything. And then we think up things. I'm here. I must have a purpose. What is my purpose? Aha. To write books on philosophy. <laughs> And don't misunderstand, I'm not making fun of philosophers or people who do that, or of Jean-Paul Sartre, or any of those existentialist dudes. Camus, Kierkegaard, Martin Buber. I haven't read any of their, their books either. I just know their names. I'm kind of a name dropper. <laughs> <laughs>
Dostoevsky, <laughs> Hieronymus Bosch. Oh, wait a minute, that's a painting. <laughs> a good one. I did look at his painting. I tried to just look at the, the title of the painting for a while, but that didn't work. I finally had to look at the painting itself. Like Garnica. You familiar with Garnica? Picasso's painting, the tribute to the uh, people that uh, uh, Franco bombed back in the 1936, I think it was, 37. What was it? Yes. Just along the line of the title of the talk. Yes. Not detected or measured. Yes. How, how do we look for that? So it's good to have that concept in your mind. You can't, you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. it. It will not show up in the sixth sense fields. And it would also not, not show up in the sixth sense fields. That's why it's difficult. That's why you can't prove it. When, when the mind of a human beings, when we start to actually uh, levitate, you could say, begin to not ignore gravity and not ignore physical science, but to, to, to actually use that as a stepping off point to go into the unknown. This is what we do when you sit down, you face a wall, you hold still, and you practice what we call shikantaza, or just precisely this. You're stepping into no man's land, no woman's land. Nobody's land. You're, you're actually stepping down into your own uh, uh, frontier, your own going into your own mind, which is different than anyone else's in some ways and similar in other ways. So no, not detected means that what you're looking for can't actually be detected in the conventional sense. Uh, what was the other part of the title? Um, not measured. You can't measure it. It's like... Um, we have actual physical examples of not things you can't measure. You can't measure the distance between here and the edge of the universe. You could disagree if you wanted to. You could say, oh yeah, I think that can be done. And I would say, oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> so as a whole idea, what are we bringing up here? We're bringing up the whole idea of knowledge or perception or understanding itself. We're actually beginning to look at that as, as Buddhists, uh, but uh, uh, particularly, especially as meditators or, or as people who are are maybe get a, getting a little tired of hearing everybody's opinions, including our own, on every damn thing. You know, we have a little bit of openness, like a not knowing feeling, and people are ready to slip their ideas right in there. Well, this is what you should think or believe in this. And this. It's just circular. It's like, get on my Ferris wheel or my merry-go-round or my tilt-a-whirl or my... Uh, canoe ride, whatever it may be, get, get into my thing. This is what I'm doing. And I would recommend, if you have any interest in what I would recommend, I would say, don't do anything, and, but do it in a, in a formal way. In other words, sit down, hold still, and do nothing. And you'll find that that's very, very difficult to accomplish because uh, the mind is tumbling and tumbling and rotating and tumbling based on what? Passion, aggression, ignorance. And it is also so fueled by hope for things to be different and fear that they're going to stay the same or fear that they're going to be something else and hope that they stay the same. Hope and fear, wanting, hoping for something. Hope and fear are two sides of the same situation. And I'm not saying shut down on that, don't do that, don't be fearful, don't be hopeful. I'm saying just notice when your mind starts to, to, starts to reach outside of just this into something else, like into something fearful or into something hopeful. When I say that, I'm saying 
again, just as a um, to second the motion that I already made is don't do anything with it. Just be with it. If you find yourself leaning towards it, watch the leaning. Don't try to pull back from it. It is a different kind of discipline. It's not the discipline of control. It is the discipline of what? Vietnam? Awareness. I like the way you hesitated. <laughs> yes, you're correct. Say it louder. Awareness. Awareness, yeah. It's a discipline of just being aware. And I can use a metaphor I can use for that is mind like the sky. Just have a mind that's not that's not particularly attached to anything or detached to anything or coveting anything or rejecting anything or shutting down on anything, but just here, just present, authentic presence. This is a, this is, can take a lifetime. I'll even say more than that. It can take many lifetimes to do this. Probably if you're in this room, you've done this before. David. Could you also say not detected or measured and no movement? You could. That might be a little early, but you could. You have to, in order to see there's nothing moving, you have to watch a whole lot of movement. And then you, you, you come to that through awareness, not through some kind of conviction about something. Conviction is one of the defenses uh, or the uh, promotions of ego, having conviction about something. You have to have the courage of your convictions. Maybe I should say that in a, in a different voice. You have to have the courage of your convictions. Okay. <laughs> Sucks. I know. No, starve as an actor. But it's a, it's it's people are running their lives with those kinds of promote, you know, little tiny mini promotions about themselves and about others, and and I would say, oh, if you can, you don't have to be a Buddhist. I don't care. You know, I have no interest in promoting Buddhism. But what I do have an interest in promoting, find out who you are. Don't don't settle for anybody's opinion of who you are. Don't settle for anybody's description including mine. If you were to spend a bunch of time with me, uh, which I know you're uh, glad that that's not happening, but if you were, you would find that I don't interpret anyone. I don't interpret you. I don't tell you who you are. You may want me to. Sometimes people will come into the Hojo and sit down and say, come on, tell me, tell me. I'm giving you permission. Tell me who I am. Help me with my neurosis, my difficulty. And what will I say? Sit more. <laughs> <Been> in there. <laughs> Sit more. Yes, I will. Because I, what I want, I want you to realize it. I don't want to manufacture some kind of a dumb philosophy. That's because that's about all I would come up with. But what I can say to you is train your mind. Find out who you are. Don't settle. If you find yourself settling for something, uh, knock it off. Don't do it. On the other hand, if you find that's happening like gravity or like uh, momentum, then just watch it. And I'd say, don't go to war with it. If you find something is happening in your own psyche, your own mind, just watch what happens. Don't jump to conclusions about it. Don't assume anything about anything. Don't take anything for granted. And don't believe anything I say. I say that over and over again. And I mean that. I'd say, listen to what I'm saying. Of course, consider it. Don't believe it. I wouldn't want you to necessarily give up your own intelligence to somehow borrow something from this person. You don't need to do that. It seems that with our basic senses, the eyes are a tool to see and so on and so forth. What do we use or what tool do we have to go into that which can't be measured or detected? Everything. It's happening all at once. Seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing. Could you uh, say something about how the 
these organs which detect and measure also help us understand that which can't be detected or measured? Yes, when they just receive and they don't add. Just receive, some odors, don't add. Just receive sites, don't, don't add your idea, your opinion, your judgment, your evaluation onto it. Just receive, just receive. There's something, Norman O'Brown, no relation, uh, back in the 1950s, he said, he wrote a book called Love's Body, and one of the things he talked about there was, talk about, he talked about, uh, characterized this idea of the senses being totally open, called it polymorphous perversity. I think he'd like to say that, <laughs> get attention, but polymorphous in many forms and, and perverse, and that there's all kinds of crossing over and crossing over happening where you begin to smell with your eyes and mm -hmm. hear with your uh, tongue. It's, it's a very powerful thing. It's not something you can particularly think about and then write a book like he did, uh, but it's something you can work with yourself when you're Especially if you're doing sitting meditation practice where you're just just a body orientation, just sitting here. If you do enough of this, you'll notice, and there's no guarantee because everyone's on a different path, but if you if you just hold still, very, very still without being rigid, like the meditation instruction that was given earlier, then the mind, it's not like the mind empties or clears out or something like that. But if nothing is done with it, if you do nothing with the mind, then it becomes what it actually is, which is incredible open dimension of being that is without location. There's the scientists are always, you know, because they're materialists, scientific materialism wants to come in and nail everything down. And they want to, and they experiment by putting electroshocks on your head. And now they've got that so, uh, so controlled, they say they have that under control now, they can stimulate certain parts of the brain. They're still experimenting. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what the brain is. They think the brain is worth where thoughts are generated. <clears throat> but what's the what's the assumption there? What's the assumption that there are thoughts? Prove it. They're going to work with this materialism. The next time somebody says something about thoughts or they're being thinking or not thinking or I'm thinking about this or thinking about that, don't take that for granted. Are there thoughts? What is thought? Is there a thinker? Prove it. And of course, I know you can't prove it. That's why I'm saying that. But you don't need to detect that. You don't need to detect it in such a way. Oh, okay, I've got it now. I, I can see there's the thought. It's kind of square shaped, and there's a big bump on the back where the where the second opinions are. It's like the trunk of a 1948 Buick. You know the ones with the bump on the back. He knows. <laughs> what was that other part of the title? Not detected or measured. Measured. The measuring part, you notice that, you notice how much of that's floating around. People measuring this and they think just because they can put numbers on it, somehow they have, they know something about it. It's like, uh, what's the title of a, a book of poems by, uh, oh, her name's not coming back. She's kind of a hippie poet. Remember her name? Makeup on Empty Space. Yeah, make, uh, Makeup on Empty Space. That was her title of her book of poems. So the, so the actual, Insight that can arise or appear. I don't know if it even arises. I don't know if it even appears. But the insight that shows up when the self-centeredness has stopped grasping. I want it. I want it. It's, I should have this. I should have that. It's because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that. Or rejecting. It shouldn't be here. i got to get rid of it. I need to cut its throat. I need to get done with this. I'm over. Or the third one, which is the hardest of the three poisons to see, is... The problem. I don't see anything wrong. 
Let's get pizza. Well, I have nothing against pizza, of course. We distract ourselves and fill up that very that open dimension of being that is your birthright. That is your when you walk out of here, assuming you do. When you walk out of here, whatever that is, that you're looking at what you're looking for. You're looking at looking at what you're looking for. This doesn't mean it doesn't have 15 or 20 layers or laminations of preconceptions, ideas, and junk mail on top of it. But if you look right at what arises in your mind, that's where you need to start. As my teacher, Cho Gim Trungpa Rinpoche said in the, back in the 70s, the only way around is through. Go right through the middle of your own mind, neurosis, suffering, difficulty, fear. Go in, go, go in, go right into it. How do you do that? Hold still and look at it. It will open up. It will actually go when it's time for you to move into it. So it's easy to measure from here, from this table to the altar. But if you measure, if you start with the floor and go up, you can measure to the ceiling. But if you, if you go outside and you start with the ground and you measure up and say, how far is that? Somewhat difficult to do that. I have a lot of time to fill up here. Don't I? <laughs> Questions, go ahead. Uh, unmeasurable uh, makes me think of when I've heard you say, try to observe the space in between thoughts. Is that the same? I have, yeah. I do that sometimes. Would you consider that measurable? Is yeah, that we, we need to start somewhere. So we start with a provisional kind of teaching, which means sit down, hold still, watch what moves. And so and then you'll see thoughts come and go. And then if you begin to watch the thoughts, then at some point you can begin to see the space around the thought. You can see the gaps between thoughts. It isn't like the preconception of what that would be like, like there's a little thing like a little boxcar or something, you know, or a motor scooter going on, which is your thought, and then there's a space between the motor scooter and the taxi cab. It isn't like that. Oh, I could only get into that space between those cars. More? Keep going. Uh, I guess the few times I, I thought I might have felt the space between, yeah. it's like as soon as I, I feel that or acknowledge it, and it, it's gone. Yeah. That's, that means you saw it. That's, all, that's what it's like to do that. Because if you look at it, it won't, because of the nature of thought, it's a concept that we use to approach that. But because of the nature of thought, it doesn't hold still for a concept. It's like trying to eat a recipe and not starve to death. Yeah, you have to actually eat pung pung pie. But then what's the point of that space being? What's the point of suffering? We're all having our difficulty and bumping into stuff and hurting ourselves and hurting others and worrying and fretting. I realize that's not where you were going with that, but that's where I was going. <laughs> the knowledge that's not detected or measured that you're talking about yes. sounds similar to intuition. Is it similar? Uh, intuition comes and goes. This kind of knowledge does not go anywhere. It's just, it's, it's just there all the time. Every, everywhere you look, when you wake up, it's there. When you go to sleep, it's there. In the middle of your nightmare, it's there all the time. No longer covered up. And it may, it may look like any number of, of you know, elephants and giraffes and, and you in another lifetime. It could look like almost anything, but it's always, but it's always, always not separate. What you're seeing is not as the separation that is fundamentally not separate. Once, once you begin to see that, you don't have to ever remind yourself again. It's always that way. So you can't measure that. It's just this. You can't, you can't, uh, what was that other word? Detect it. You can't detect something that you are. 
you can detect something else, but you can't you can't detect what you are because you are what you are. Like it says in the back of uh, um, my wife's uh, Raksu that you know, she received Jukai in 2010. It says nothing else. I'm the clever person that wrote that on there. And when I did that, I was getting I was uh, put her name on there, uh, Sunlit Cloud uh, Unyo, and I and I just. Start, wrote that on there. So it's not like some kind of magical, you know, I was channeling the universe or something, but it's just uh, I wanted to say something very simple that I thought would be meaningful. Just like it says in your rocks, Sandokai. Yes. Rusheen from Traverse City has two questions. Rusheen, Dragon's Heart. Her first one is, what is truth? And the second one, is it nothing? Is it nothing? She's going to ask me a question and answer it? There's <laughs> <laughs> two questions. Okay. S separated by... Truth is not nothing, nor is it not not nothing. And nothing is not truth, nor is it not truth, nor is it not not truth. So truth is a, is a concept that implies there's something that is fundamentally right on. You know, it's always there. It's the, the supreme knowledge of something. So... Uh, Coming out of the concept causes us to have a whole lot of stuff tagging along behind us, other concepts. We, we, we might be sincere about that, but we always stay in the orbit of a kind of knowledge or a kind of high-level uh, philosophy. If you study Madhyamaka or you study Yogacara teachings, but especially the, the emptiness teachings, uh, there's, a, there's a high level of concepts that is trying to point to... Um, no self, no other. And so when you say, what is truth? I use the, the Buddhist teachings. I say, well, there's two kinds. And this is what's taught in the provisional teachings, the early beginning teachings of Buddhism. There's relative truth or uh, um, is a Sanskrit word. Relative truth, up and down, back and forth, plus and minus, wet and dry, cold and hot. You know, it, one thing gets its meaning from the contrast or the other. We, it sneaks up on us, though, because we think that Heat is, but heat is just heat. So it's cold something, or is it just the absence of, you know, you can get into all kinds of peregrinations there where you're going this way and going that way. Relative truth, if you look at it really closely, starts to look pretty fishy. It's pretty fishy. And absolute truth, or paramartha satya, I think that's it, isn't it? You know, have that memorized? <laughs> Apparently I don't either if I had to ask you. Uh, Sambhiti Satya, Paramartha Satya. Yes, that's true. So Paramartha Satya is absolute truth that doesn't have a second. It doesn't have a, a fault. A relative truth has a true and false. True, false. You can, there's all kinds of versions of it. Life and death is one of them. Life is true, death is false. Or you could say death is true. Death is when you really are uh, alive. Death is when you're really alive. And, and life is when you're just a which is nerve endings on a stick. But you could say it that way. You could flip it around and say it that way. We don't know. We could conjecture that. But just something to consider, which is what philosophers do. I'm not, not too interested in that. But absolute truth or uh, the absence of falsehood completely and totally would be just this. Not separate. Not separate from anything. So that would you you wouldn't you couldn't measure it, and you also uh, couldn't detect it because it's not separate. You can only detect something that's 
other than what what the detector is. Something that's other than what the sense organ is, or other than what the mind is. Something else that you're evaluating, thinking about. So this is why we, in this tradition and other traditions, we emphasize the sitting practice of meditation, awareness practice. Not because we want you to believe in this guy. That's You may need this kind of support, you may not. If you don't, then do it by yourself. I think it's very, very difficult and very challenging to do with the enculturation and the constant stream of stuff that's flying at us out of our culture, out of our family, out of our relationships, out of our very close friends who are well-meaning will tell you all kinds of, have you ever noticed how, if you just ask anybody for advice, they immediately give you a bunch of advice based on their confusion. I mean, they don't think they're confused, but they immediately give you a lot of advice based on what they call their experience. How kind of them to share. Yes. Okay. Uh, I have two questions. Okay, go ahead. My first question is, what's the uh, meaning or the purpose of burning the incense? Yes. So the, the purpose of burning incense or lighting candles is to, to make some kind of an offering to actually and use the senses. So we, use, we have color, we have flowers, we're seeing something. We, we have light, uh, we burn incense. Sometimes there's even food on an altar. Uh, sometimes there's water, depending on what, which altar it is. So making some kind of offering and what you're, what you're bowing to is not to something else. You're, you're showing respect. You're trying to train your mind to be respectful to your own uh, experience of, of being alive, being a living being, being res paying respect to your sense seals, color, fragrance. So make, opening up the five senses. You're, you're offering, using the five senses, you're giving that away. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a sense of generosity. You're offering that, you're giving that. We say, we say we're offering it to the Buddha, but we're not separate from the Buddha. The Buddha was not, was just some guy who discovered something about the nature of the mind and of, of life. And he shared it with other people. And those people have been doing that down through the centuries until it reaches this room. It's just about showing respect. It's, it's very much about respect. Not, it's, it's not exactly worship in the conventional sense. We're not looking up to some higher power to uh, save our butt. We're okay. At, yeah, go ahead. And then my second, I think you started to answer, but I'm not sure. Um, second question, who is Buddha? Who is he? Yeah, like... Uh, the word Buddha uh, means uh, awakened, the awakened one. And it was a man who lived 2,500 years ago who uh, was quite d dismayed by his life and by seeing uh, people suffering, seeing sickness, aging, and death. So he left his palace. He was a, in line to be a king. He was a prince. Left and went out into the forest to, to practice with other uh, um, uh, people who were interested in the spiritual life. And he went out and he discovered something uh, through his meditation practice about the nature of life. And it is, uh, the basic uh, teaching is everything is dependently arisen. He discovered there aren't any separate beings anywhere, that everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent individuality. So he was a man who did that, and we, uh, he's, uh, he's my teacher. He's the teacher of anyone who comes in and considers himself a student of Buddhism, more or less. More? Thank you. You're welcome. We have some time. Is there any other? Yes. Um, from uh, Sokoran up in Traverse City. Yes, Sokoran. She asks, what measurements can we use in meditation to encourage right awareness? Uh, how, how, if your leg is going to sleep is one. You're aware of your leg going to sleep. Uh, you're, you're aware that you're nodding off. You're aware that you're very bored. 
you're aware that you're very excited, you're aware that you're very, everything is very flat. Awareness, awareness. It doesn't matter what arises in the awareness. At some point, the awareness is just an open dimension. It's like you, your allegiance from what arises in the awareness changes from what arises over to the open sky itself. So it's like your mind becomes like a sky. And then it doesn't matter what kind of terrible tsunamis or clouds or whatever goes through the sky. The sky doesn't take that personal. So you, you just don't take your emotions personally anymore. You can have really intense emotions and there's no, uh, you don't ascribe that to some kind of thing like, well, I must have done something wrong or what, what's going on. I'm feeling so terrible. You're able to completely hold your seat and allow the world to pass through you just like you were made of uh, gossamer. Question from Tayo in Traverse City. A lot, a lot of people up there in Traverse are watching tonight. He asks, when I observe what arises, I feel there is a whole spectrum that I am not seeing. How is this different from not detecting or measuring? The self-centered mind of the ego mind that is setting up that loss of something. Uh, it's, it's looking for something else, not being, not being with what is arising, thinking, well, there's something else I'm not getting. That's called ego, self-centeredness. Never satisfied, always wanting something else, something more, something better, something brighter. I'm saying to you, whatever rises in your sense fields, whatever rises in your mind is it. Don't add, don't do any math at all. If you're doing any kind of math, then you're going to look for something else and you're going to go in circles and circles and circles until you see what this is. Further question? Yes. Um, sometimes you instruct us to find out the truth for ourselves. I do. So we don't have to rely on anyone else. What is that truth that you are speaking of? Well, the simple way of putting it conceptually is nothing is separate. So you you discover or you, it just occurs to you something you've known all along that you've been covering up and hiding out from. Uh, the ego doesn't really want to look at this, that you are no one and you are not separate from anything else. Well, that's a, that's a simple relative way of putting it. There are other ways of saying it. You could say the Zogchen teachings say, uh, call it the great perfection. There's nothing to adjust, nothing to get nothing to lose, nothing happens. We're not saying that you don't go out and shovel snow or you don't uh, lose your wallet uh, at the theater, or that things don't come and go, or you don't have a flat tire, or that you don't win the lottery. We're not saying that the relative world doesn't, uh, doesn't keep uh, moving around, but, but the relative world is uh, impermanent. So in the midst of our suffering, how is seeing that truth for ourselves helpful? Uh, the, the struggle or the warfare starts to die down. It either ends or it slows down or it, it tapers off or there's so many dependent things that are, could still be happening there. It could happen altogether. You would just stop uh, wanting something other than this. You, you wouldn't go like that. You might not that you don't look across the room, but you wouldn't turn away from whatever was arising, looking for something better, something more successful whatever would occur would be what needed to occur. This doesn't mean that you wouldn't still wouldn't have some kind of disappointment about something. So you're, you're not, it isn't like you suddenly become made of a, a barn wood or something. You still have nerve endings. So those are still functioning. It's just that they don't, they don't find a self. The, the feeling is just feeling. There's no one that's feeling. 
the thinking is just thinking. There's not a thinker thinking thoughts. Much different uh, if uh, thoughts are just arising, coming and going in emotions without a thinker or an emoter behind the whole thing, which is ego. So therefore you're, that's why it's called liberated. You're, that's why it's called liberation is because you're freed from the, from the bondage of thinking that there's a right and wrong. You're freed from the bondage of some kind of self-centeredness that is uh, operating out of hope and fear more. In our current political situation, it seems like there's a lot of measuring and detecting that's going on. Yeah. Seeking how how do we see the truth in that which arises? So it's quite a mess. You know, things are coming and going. There's a lot of judgments and opinions, and I'm not saying you should stay away from that and be some kind of a person who has no feelings and doesn't participate in politics or doesn't watch television. Or, but I'm saying, watch what happens to your mind when you observe that craziness, that spinning around. Even with the people, the beings that are very, very clear and seem to be very pragmatic and very, um, they're, they're, they have their kind of warfare going on, kind of a right, a right and wrong mentality going on. And so do nothing with it. Don't join it. Don't reject it. Don't do anything with it. And you've heard me say before, if you... If you want to fundamentally be of service and uh, to help others, then meet others where they're at, not where you think they are. Don't don't necessarily operate out of your pre 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 presumptions and preconceptions about everybody. If you do, if you operate that way, you won't do a lot because there's not a lot you can do. You can do some, but there's not a lot you can do. I don't really go in and interfere. What's you know, even by giving suggestions or advice to someone else, I get a whole lot of permission from them. I have to get a lot of permission to uh, say that. And you, what you do when you come into this room and I come up here and I give a talk, a Dharma talk, kind of gives me permission to talk about stuff for a while, half an hour, an hour. So and then you do whatever you do with it. I don't know what you do with it. Yes, David. When we're looking at the current political situation, and sometimes you talked about um, the Snyder book, um, The Bloodlands. Is yeah. If you look back at history and associate something with what's going on today, is it more important to just look at today's situation on its own without that context? Or I would do both. I mean, I, I think that those are, I think it's good to look at history and see what's happened. Not by way of taking this and trying to beat somebody over the head with it, but to include that include that so that your so your awareness is spread out a lot in all different directions to see that there's no one blame I mean to go back and blame Stalin or blame Hitler or you know that society made those people that took the the kind of the craziness that was already extant that was already on the roll and and it just found uh, momentum with other people who were wanted that kind of power or wanted that kind of situation so it's a it's, uh, everything is dependently risen. So even though that crazy kind of stuff, just like what's going on now and all over the world, it's just uh, it's dependently risen. Just like the the Me Too thing that came up with the uh, uh, abuse of uh, women, you know, that just kind of it was just it's time for that to start happening, and it just started on a roll. There have been people that's been going on for forever. Suddenly, there's there's some kind of consciousness thing that has happened with a few individuals that weren't about to let that lie. So, very dangerous for people to take that up, that kind of thing. So, and the right or wrong part of it is somewhat beside the point. It's people are doing what they're doing out of their 
out of their desire to be helpful, to be sincere, to be, and then just like the other poll, the people are doing what they're doing because they, they what's primary for them is money and control. And so therefore we have, uh, basically have an oligarchy going on. I think it's not really a democracy these days. Yes. Question from Terry from Hawaii. Terry in Hawaii. Except I think she's in New York. What's <laughs> going She get to New York. She asks, how can one practice skillful means when being with all things until it becomes effortless? The best skillful means, the way I understand it, uh, uh, upaya is the Sanskrit for skillful means. And that's talked about in a lot of in various Buddhist traditions. But the way I talk about that is don't do anything unless you have to. Don't, I mean, actually hold your horses. It's another word for it is uh, patience. Hold your horses rather than jump into something. Just just watch what's, because nothing lasts. So anything that's happening that you might be tempted to move in and use some kind of skillful means on or some kind of uh, uh, enlightened activity, shall we say, I would say hold back. Don't, I mean, wait until everything starts to gather together and then you could come up with some kind of thing like, well, gee, if I wait, maybe something terrible will happen. Well, something could, terrible could happen if you jump in too quickly also. So I would say, pull, pull back and, and watch what happens and be respectful of people's neurosis. Uh, yes, you heard me right. Respect people's craziness, because that's the only way you're going to have access to their uh, innate or natural intelligence. You have to respect that because they think that's intelligence. So you have to be respectful there before you're going to have any kind of access. This is called communication. You can't, you have to speak the language of the person you're talking to or interacting with. Sometimes that means not saying anything. Further questions? David? It seems with not detected or measured, it's hard to know when you have enough information. So what, what, what? That's what I'm. That's what I'm addressing. You won't know. You won't know. You if you if you wait, and if you you can't do this unless you're a meditator. You're not going to be able to do this. Just just adopt this kind of a system because the the crazy mind is tumbling in too many circles at once. Only someone who has sat down and actually uh, trained their mind to become uh, to become uh, to prioritize the awareness over the thinking process. So that you just have an openness to what's happening because it's very uh, you know there has to be some kind of natural openness that we you don't have to create it we just have to stop fiddling around with it and filling it full of our uh, propaganda of ego like well you have to do something you better get in there you can't sit around what are you gonna do sit and face a wall you turn it into a vegetable get out there and save the world you know act um, that's what the rest of the world's been doing that for thousands of years. There's only a few people that have slowed down and, and function out of uh, what is uh, called wisdom. More. Thank you. Very good. Final question from anyone? Very good. Thank you. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes that we have out in the hallway. Your financial support helps us help others. Thank you. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together.